Hello, my name is Peter Pilgrim, and this is a very quick, well, it's not going to be quick podcast. Um, yeah, um, the date is the 31st of October 2017, and I used to be a user of Audioboo, or Audioboom in the UK, and I feel that this service has become a defunct, so I'm experimenting with um, SoundCloud, and I heard that SoundCloud might go out of business. So this is a temporary. I'm going to be, um, I suppose, podcasting, giving my monotonic abilities a little bit of practice and explaining to you my thoughts on Java technology. I'm Peter Pilgrim. I am a contractor living in um, Milton Keynes in England, United Kingdom. And uh, this is this title is called The Future of Java EE. Okay, so about a month ago, I went to the Java One conference um, in San Francisco. And the news was there that Java EE has been denoted uh, to the Eclipse Foundation. And so what this means is that, as far as we know, Java EE is no more. Uh, Under the Eclipse Foundation, there's already a top-level name called EE for J. I know, it's a little bit of a joke. And and a course of confusion and worry for me personally. Um, I do not like the brand name, but every project needs a starting direction. Okay, um, why am I writing this episode? Um, early in this week, I sent out to my Twitter followers, uh, asked them f- for there what is your frustration with enterprise edition or enterprise java um lo and behold the the surprising answers were spring spring is the fly in the ointment in java ee i get that I also feel that the branding is and the story of how Java EE started was also a problem. So for beginners, let me explain about Java EE. Uh, Java EE is an umbrella specification. It's a set of uh, up to 20 specification standards uh java specification requests jsrs and there are many you will have heard of java servlets which is one enterprise java beans two 
uh, Java Messaging Service, Java uh, Restful Services, JAXRS. You would have heard of Bean Validation. You might have heard of WebSockets. You might have heard of Concurrency Utilities. You will have heard of JSONP and JSONB. JSON for binding. And also, did I mention WebSocket? There are also lots. And not forgetting of uh, JDBC, Java Persistence API, Java Connector Architecture. And the most important one going forward is contacts and dependency and injection. Uh, there's a lot. There is absolutely tons. And I've written two books uh, for Pat Publishing called Java EE7, Developer Handbook, and Digital Java EE. So check them out uh, at your own convenience. That's just for beginners. So let's go back in history. Why is there an Enterprise Edition? There's an Enterprise Edition because in 1998, Sun Microsystems, after it had invented and created and released Java in 1995, three years later, decided to come up with extensions to the standard platform. So the standard platform is a standalone edition. Let me get my words out as SE. And then there was also ME, Mobile Edition, and finally, Enterprise Edition. Easy. And that's how the cookie rolled. Except that they, Sun branded um, Java as Java J2SE for Java 2 and J2EE, which is brilliant. Uh, I think there was also a J2ME as well at the time. Don't ask me. You can blame sales and marketing and jump in a time machine and go back to um, Santa Clara, California and argue with the guys who were in sales and marketing at, at Sun Microsystems at the time. What happened? What was wrong with EE then? Uh, between the years 1998, since J2EE1 and J2EE1.4, the actual programming module was horrendously bad. Um, first, uh, one had to develop against tedious classes to construct metadata, and then this metadata was became XML, XML descriptors. It was so painful um, to program and develop EE or J2EE applications. It was a nightmare because of remoting. It was pathetic. So uh, at the time of the year 2003 to 2004, suddenly... Uh, Java and other technologists outside of Java, including, uh, became interested in this idea 
of dependency injection, which came from the solid principles. If you remember um, what solid principles are, yes. Um, including an interface segregation principle, a client-specific interfaces or many client-specific interfaces are better than general-purpose interfaces. And the final piece of that is the D for dependency inversion principle. One should depend on upon abstractions, not concretions. And what that means is that uh, another way of specifying dependency injection is don't call us, we'll call you. Uh, more accurately, um, dependency injection is we will instantiate and construct your objects. You do not need to construct your objects. We will bind their dependencies and you will have these objects assembled at the time when your application is ready to and therefore to start executing business logic. And that was the idea of dependency injection. Problem is, in 2004... There was not enough of this idea inside J2EE. And so the first annoyance comes in. So in this, um, as I said, I asked a question on my Twitter feed about what people were annoyed with. And people came back with spring. Unfortunately for those people who are fed up with spring, uh, uh, it was one of those frameworks that did exhibit a the first inversion of control framework, dependency injection. I remember personally at the time in 2003, there was Apache Avalon, which is an ancient open source uh, framework with dependency injection, uh, Pico Container, which was part of the Maven um, ecosystem and library, a deep framework that n nobody used outside of Maven. And the precursor to Juice was also invented around about the same time. The other thing that Spring had it on it was an entrepreneur called Rod Johnson, he saw the, the opportunity to establish and really ground the idea of dependency injection into the Java community. And he did it by writing a couple of big books, um, criticizing J2EE, but having these solid ideas. And he built a, a framework called Interface 21, which was the, the precursor to what everybody now knows as Spring Framework with dependency injection, with all the helper templates and wrappers uh, and or logic. So, and the idea of what Johnson's mantra was, Programming should be simple. Instead of these complicated enterprise Java beans and complicated setup and XML and configuration, why don't we have plain old Java objects? And 
eventually, due to popular demand, um, Spring Framework uh, became supported by the community because it really did simplify, simplify at the time in 2005-2004 uh, software development. And so this was a chance that was happening outside in open source. The other protagonist um, was a certain um, guy called Gavin King who invented the Hibernate framework to perform object relational mapping uh, of Java objects into a database. And so these two uh, ideas, and mainly uh, Gavin's idea of Hibernate, um, became part of Java EE5 in 2005. It became this new ease of development uh, way of working. Um, and, and that's the story of Spring and Java EE at the time. So if you think about it, Java EE has always been a bit behind where Spring Framework is and where at the time. And that's how it is. So Java EE is a standard uh, which used to be mandated by the Java community process. And now under EE4J, and I hate that name, will be under the Eclipse Foundation. So as for beginners again, um, the, f the principle here for, uh, is the umbrella specification. But part of the umbrella, umbrella specification, uh, the way it is implemented and written about, there is the first idea of a container, a runnable deployment uh, po point called an application server. So this is the old way of building an application that runs on some kind of server remotely on, in a data center. So when you build your application, and you still do with Java EE, you can either build a web archive or an enterprise archive. Enterprise archive is a, a, a more complicated version of a war file. And you, t you built your war file, which is a simply assembly of your Java classes and your web resources, and then you deployed that war file to an application server in a data center inside, say, your commercial bank, and you can undeploy it, you can stop it, restart it. So this is the first um, idea of containers, and nothing to do with the containers that we have today. I'll come on to that later on, such as the, the Docker and another containers. So this was purely in Java, written as, in fact, an application server with 
running three different types of container, which are Cephalic container, EGB container, and CDI container. So those are the three. So if you want more information, you can read my Java EE7 books, uh, particularly Java EE7 Developer Handbook and the Digital Java EE7 book for more information on those. those. So in short... Um, this was the model up to 2014 and in very recent times a couple of new technologies arrived the first technology arrived was containerization and hypervisors a more a better way of running an improved way of running code um, inside a container, which is portable, deployable, and and executable, and and is a huge improvement on virtual machines. It's called Docker. Most people have heard. It allows you to layer up in a mutable uh, stack of softwares with an operating system such as CentOS, Linux, Ubuntu, usually a Linux operating system, and then you throw your binaries onto it, such as Apache, Nginx, including Java, your Tomcat, and basically you can compose your layers together to have a deployable package, which is called, called like, which is, it is like a shipping container with... Um, parts inside or shipments and packets and boxes inside and you can then send that to an assembly and then the assembly will execute that either locally on your workstation or in the cloud such as uh, a docker runtime will run inside the aws amazon web server container or google cloud container so this is a different technology-based containerization, at least in the 2010 site, is different from Java containers. And the reason why this is important is the EE standard had no concept of, say, what we now know as small uh, applications that are distributable, scalable microservices um it's it there's no model in java ee8 uh so to so bring the story home just before now and so the, it's the 31st of october 2017 so i first got wind of trouble in java ee around August 20, maybe, no, actually even further back. Um, I think it was May or June 2016, I heard rumours, uh, which had turned out to be true. There had been no commits from Oracle spec leads into then the Java EE8 um, standard. And 
there had been no commits in any open source, no email messages. So uh, tools had been dropped, work had stopped, and everybody in the community became worried. I think that this broke other people's faith in the Enterprise Edition platform. It caused a lot of consternation and worry. And nobody knew, apart, apart in, in Oracle, what was happening. And so uh, there was a U-turn. And so by the time of Java 1 2016, and I didn't attend that one, uh, I was doing other stuff, um, Oracle announced that they would eventually relieve Java EE8 and Java EE9. So this is um, 13 months ago. That, And so up to the present time, um, things have changed again. Java EE8 has been released. Oracle have indeed kept that faith. But the turnaround and the surprise is that Oracle have passed on Java EE8 uh, and Java EE9, rather, and the EE to the Eclipse Foundation. And hence the future of Java EE. I think, personally... Uh, it could be a good thing for EE to survive. Um, so let's get my steer on this. I, I think personally that EE has been, if it was a person, has been treated a little bit shoddily. It's been led down by a bad branding name um, from 1998. Um, people remember the damaged goods about it still to this day. Um, recruiters still send out job specifications for J2EE, even though there, that standard died in 2005 when the brand was so-called renamed from J2EE to Java EE. And you can say that's successful marketing and branding. It hasn't worked. Um, and now with the Eclipse Foundation... It is um, almost laughable that the top-level charter is EE for J. So in my humble opinion, I think a total break uh, to cut the memory of, I suppose, the EJB is required. Um, I don't know, I'm not an ex a branding expert. Um, I don't know what they would call this super new, um, new experience of Enterprise Edition. I think the faith has 
definitely been broken. As I said, Spring Framework and Rod Johnson uh, are very successful. The, the big fly in the ointment for Java EE is that Spring under the hood has its own and always has its own dependency injection framework. And Java EE since for 6 has had CDI. The two dependency injection or dependency inversion principle, the implement, implementations thereof are incompatible. A CDI being cannot participate in the spring dependency injection framework and dependency injection in Bean and um, Spring Bean cannot really function in the CDI Bean uh, world. Um, that causes a problem. Um, so never the train shall meet, which is technically the biggest roadblock I see in between Java EE or EE for J and Spring. Spring, in the meanwhile, has innovated, and I would say superbly, um, with its annotation uh, configuration of its Spring beans. Um, I have been working with a client. In fact, this is my second client with Spring Boot. And you do not need to even work with XML. In fact, Pivotal ought to be congratulated because they work with YAML files. And plus, they have a, um, what is called a soup to nuts um, really good um, infrastructure such that there is a cloud foundry or a cloud provider called Pivotal Cloud Foundry, a PCF, which allows you to deploy the, your Spring Boot applications to the clouds. And that could be AWS, it could be Google Cloud, and I believe a Microsoft Azure is also uh, included in that. Um, and as I said in my Java 1 uh, blog post, I think Spring Boot is at least one year ahead of the burgeoning micro-profile um, standard. Um, the micro-profile does not have a cloud provider i know they've got things like monitoring um, they're starting to get a health and security um, as far as i know micro profile does not support uh, service discovery eureka zookeeper the things that i've really needed for the cloud it's uh, metrics is a bit weak um, and it's CDI annotation story, you know, there isn't enough there. Um, even in MicroProfile 1.1, you just have JAXRS, CDI, 
Jason P. Who knows what you must have? So I think micro profile is at least a year behind. Uh, however, um, for it to catch up, uh, I think though that team or whoever is responsible really needs to get behind Java Nine because that is where where Java, even standalone, the future is. Uh, Java 9 brings modularization. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, a very quick uh, win would be uh, instant Java 9 support for the micro profile and then a good Java 9 support. Um, I think it's going to be extremely hard because there is no application server uh, or Java EE8 server that is built with modules yet. And the sooner that application server, maybe even Tomcat or Tommy, is built and rebuilt so that it such it supports modules, full Java 9 modules, and not using the class path, um, obeying all of Mark Reinhold's um, criteria, um, that would be fantastic because at least Spring does not have that at the moment. Um, and I'm just going to jump into branding here. So branding is, I, I think, EE for J is not a good name. Uh, I think there has to be a break with the past. Um, there are an awful lot of IT directors and chief information officers who remember, who, and some may have been burnt, with Java and EJB. So the sooner that in the new standard, if they, and I think there will be an EE standard, that they deprecate this idea of enterprise Java beans and really rebrand the whole design uh, of, I guess, Enterprise edition. I, I mean, it's, I guess it's a, a serious effort there. I, I'm no branding expert. I, I've worked with some wonderful, brilliant digital guys, uh, the LBIs um, of this world, people who are responsible for UX. And I think they would say themselves that a new direction has to be sought after for the this enterprise edition for it to succeed um in my book um and um and i guess that is the future in my head for java uh ee or ee for j um i'm working with a client uh currently that is purely spring boot and can't really see them migrating to EE or the micro profile at the moment. And clients uh, um, are either have invested 
in Spring Framework already. They already have running applications and production. And to and then uh, why would they run with the micro profile or Java EE7 or 8 or EE for J version 9? Unless there's a really good reason to uh, develop with the platform um, that stands in, in good stead for microservices. Um, we shall see in a year's time. Anyway, my name is Peter, P- Peter Pilgrim and I'm going to stop right there. So thanks for listening and enjoy your day.